Welcome to the 34th Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. This is the 34 Circe Salon, and we are on the Parallax Channel, and we are delighting in a little bit of showbiz, a little bit of entertainment, because we are doing the classical world at the movies. Welcome. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you for joining us. And as always, if you would be so kind as to leave a lovely remark or high rating on whatever platform you are using to listen to us, we would deeply appreciate it. And without further ado, let's get to take a bow. Let's call him on the stage from the wings, award-winning classical movie enthusiast, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi, Sean. Listen to that crowd, Gary. Listen to that crowd cheering for you. <laughs> All right. So, Gary, today we are going to review a film we've uh, a show we've talked about because uh, you saw it. I I saw parts of it when it came out. Then I watched it over again recently. Uh, this is the 1997 Hallmark Television version of the Odyssey. Now, this version of the Odyssey starred uh, Armand Desante uh, as Odysseus. Uh, it starred Greta Scacchi as uh, Penelope, Vanessa Williams as Calypso, Bernadette Peters as Circe, our patron goddess, um, Eric Roberts uh, as the suitor, uh, uh, the chief suitor, I'll get the name will come to me, uh, and Christopher Lee as the blind prophet, uh, Tiresias. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, well, let's jump right in. So this is this is this is produced by Hallmark Entertainment, um, and interestingly enough, it was also co-produced by American Zoetrope, who you and I were just talking about, The Godfather, before we started, because I've been watching the series that's on uh, Paramount Plus about The Godfather called The Offer. I think it's a fantastic series, uh, and American Zoetrope is Francis Ford Coppola's company and francis ford coppola is one of the producers on this and i say this with surprise because francis ford coppola is one of my all-time favorite directors i think he's a genius and uh this this series is not the work of uh of genius i would not call this a work of genius would you call it a work of genius gary <clears throat> no not at all so let's let's give a let's let's give an overall view so it's a two-part series hour and a half each part uh, it covers the whole range of the Odyssey. I mean, it does. It's it starts with Odysseus, um, uh, Penelope giving birth to Telemachus, uh, Odysseus being called off to war. We get to see the Trojan War. We go through. We see the Scylla and Charybdis. We see uh, the Cyclops. We see uh, was well, we see the Trojan War, the Trojan Horse, um, the Cyclops, the the 
the god uh, Aeolus, god of the wind, Circe, um, uh, Sil and Charybdis, the, the underworld, Calypso, Kinoas, and then home with the suitors. So everything is covered. Well, I'm. I but, what do you think? I can't remember if it covered the sirens or not. Did it cover the sirens? Oh, you're right. Very good. Of course, of course, Gary, you got that. Yes, the sirens were not covered back. Very good point. And that's a so very. It's, it's a big, but it, it you have to admit it does touch upon the more of the major story. Yeah, but I mean, most. if you if you have a two part miniseries, you could have included the sirens for God's sakes. Well, you could have done a lot more with this one. So let's just get right to it. Uh, I I thought this was a weird miniseries. I just thought, you know, it's. I think I'd said to you, it's it's less than the sum of its parts. Like, yeah. if I just told you the parts, you know, there's this really good uh, group of actors. It's got Francis Ford Coppola, for God's sakes, producing it. It's Hallmark Entertainment, which is really usually really good family entertainment. Uh, it's it hits all. It includes. And let's give a round of applause for this, at least. It includes the goddesses and gods. Yeah. Which they almost never do in Hollywood. No, it, kinda, that, that's one plus. It did do that. Yeah. So, But somehow it's not very good, Yeah, in my opinion. So let's start with first, for, for you as the scholar, authenticity. What would you say about its authenticity? Well, it wasn't totally authentic. Um, and it took liberties with things. Um, and, you know, we just mentioned the uh, lack of doing the sequence of the sirens, which was fairly well handled in the Kirk Douglas version, you know, the 1955, was it, uh, Ulysses? Uh, I think it was 54, but yes, that, that's 54, roundly. yeah, where he's tied to the mast and his men, you know, he puts wax in the ears of his men so they can't be uh, mesmerized by the sirens and be lured to their island and then devoured. The only thing in a, in a Kirk Douglas film, they don't show the sirens, which is unfortunate because they're a half beautiful girl, half bird, you know, and it would have been great to have a special effect of them flying around Odysseus. And, you know, well, they, given how cheaply it was done, they probably didn't have the production value. Yeah, you know, as, as I expressed him yeah. in, in my poem, which I've been reading to this uh, uh, online meeting we have Thursday nights called uh, Storytelling. Um, you know, give a flavor of the of the sirens, and so I, I just bear with me a little self-aggrandizement here in my poem. But it, it goes like this to give you an idea of what it could have been. And it was not so very long before they heard the siren song, before he heard the siren song. The first siren sings, "Come closer, famed Odysseus, Greece's pride and glory. Come beat your boat on her coast." Hear our sweet sung story. The second siren sings, Never has any bold sailor passed our way in their black ships without hearing our honeyed voices flowing from our lips. And they all say together, We know all the future and past for low. We know all of Troy's fall, how the heavenly gods welded so. And then all three sirens sing in unison, If you come hear your story, Hear your future's plan. You will sail on, a happy, wiser man. And then Odysseus, you know, strains at the uh, the ropes that are tying him to the mast. He breaks uh, through a little bit, but two of his uh, crew members tie him back to the mast so he won't jump ship and, and be, you know, killed by the sirens. So they left that out of the movie. Um, 
And then that was that was applause for your work. That was quite quite a oh thank you piece of poetry there. Thank you. Well, they left that out. They left that out of the other piece. Um, but they did keep some of the other things in. What I was curious about is that I did get at least from as a viewer the the way life in that era was portrayed felt a, a bit authentic to me. That I, I gave them a sort of well, it wasn't you know, totally authentic. Sort of, yeah, well, that's what I was curious about from you because for me. They made it. They gave it a level of simplicity and closeness to nature that I would think would be accurate. Now, my question for you is: Where wasn't it accurate? Not in terms of telling the story, but in terms of how they showed people in that era. What What would you say? Well, you know, first of all, they they had lousy costumes. Uh, well, they, that was part of it that made it feel sort of authentic. They didn't have any costumes. It really felt like it was just. Rags. I mean, uh, you know, I I have the uh, image. Of, you know, the uh, ad for it, you know, my, uh, I have an old VHS tape with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it has, uh, I think, Geraldine Page maybe played uh, Athena, was it? Um, in the, in, uh, in this one? Yeah. No, Isabella Rossellini. Uh, I'm sorry, Isabella Rossellini, yes. And they're showing her wearing this really drab, you know, light brown dress. And the necklace is not authentic and everything. And they show the uh, the actress Greta Skaki who played uh, Penelope, and she's wearing a, a, a darker brown dress. And uh, and then they have Vanessa Williams on there who's wearing a little bit more authentic. Um, but in, in the main, the costumes were ludicrous, and the armor. Well, you know. Okay, but that, okay, let's okay. That's where let's let's go a little further into that. Not to go too far into the weeds for the listener, but I'm just curious. Okay, so so for me, all right. The, the costumes may not have been uh, colorful or stylish. It just felt like, again, there were there was a simplicity that felt very real for the era. Well, they're uh, too simple. And, uh, okay, so that's where I was at. So you felt it was too simple. For yeah, all the, all the, I thought all the depictions of Bronze Age, especially the women's costumes, were fantastic. They're they're more colorful. They're more striking than even classical Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the women wore uh, flounced skirts, and they were bare-breasted, which, of course, they're not going to show in the TV series. But they could have, you know, had, uh, what do you call it, décolletage, décolletage, or what do you call it, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, give some indication of that. Um, and uh, and the women's uh, hairstyles, uh, they actually had ponytails, which is interesting. Okay. Know, the, the Greek women, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, that would have been an easy style, of course, right? Right. And, and, um, and accurate. Uh, it's the only time I've seen in ancient uh, times where uh, women had a ponytail. So, in terms of the the costuming, in terms of the armor, you felt it was not authentic enough. It was too simple. Um, I thought at least it gave a feel, a, a better feel of an ancient world. The problem was uh, where we would agree is that it loses a stylishness. Like, for example, there was at least a certain flair to the Ulysses with Kirk Douglas. But um, Absolutely, because, anyway. you know, Armasani played him too serious. Uh, and, and, um, and, you know, Kirk Douglas pay, played him right. You know, he was an extrovert, especially seeing where he's talking to the Cyclops and smiling and telling the Cyclops, you know, he, he wants to – give him wine to get him drunk so he'll fall asleep so they can put his eye out with a giant, uh, you know, pointed stake. Um, and uh, you know, Kirk Douglas, to me, really uh, 
you know, epitomized Odysseus, Armand Asante was a lackluster one to me. Well, I think the thing with Armand Asante, and I'm a fan of Armand Asante, is that in this role, I would agree with you. He does th- it, I he does play him down, but I look at all the acting in here, and I tend to when I look at actors, I, I if I see a group pattern uh, of of a performance, in other words, so they're all performing either over the top or too understated. I knew some people. Uh, I know a guy who felt that everything, every performance had to be quiet, which I thought he was an idiot no, no. for that. Because, well, I, well, I'm just making a point. So he thought every performance needed to be quiet to the point where it looked like no one was actually expressing any emotion in anything he directed. So this was a little bit where, not like that, but if I saw a pattern, when I see a pattern in a film of actors all doing the same sorts of things, I tend to blame and look at the director. Also, I look at how they've acted in other projects. Now, this is the case where the performances to me were just, they were undirected. Yeah. It looked like everyone was just kind of deciding to just do whatever they thought they you know felt like doing in a given moment. There was really no structure or shape given to that. I mean, I looked no, at I, Eric Roberts' character. Eric Roberts was he just- He was okay. It, he played Antinous, who was the leader yeah. of the Suitors. Um, he was okay, but I mean, just his performance from an acting standpoint, it was like he was just kind of searching for a very general, bad, you know, villain kind of persona. But, yeah. um, you know, there, but that's where the director would have to come in with that uh, and, and sort of shape that a little bit more and to move it a little bit more. So that, it, you know, again, when I look at the interaction between the between Whereas in the real story, yeah. you know, and, and Tenoas is laughing at Odysseus and everything. Well, but even but I'm saying it just watching from a director's standpoint, looking at the way the two actors interact, there's nothing, there's no... Uh, there's no spark that's put there. There's no conflict between the two. There are no shades or moods. So to me, this is more, I, I lay this more on the director. Cause yeah, again, well, and then, then they had a, just kind of wandering. Through they had a little, bit. you know, the uh, killing of Antinous was inaccurate because mm-hmm. uh, they have him rushing towards the door. And, and uh, I believe, uh, correct me if I uh, don't remember this accurately. And he's rushing with, uh, you know, one of the, women he's been whoring with and mm-hmm. uh in addition throws a spear and, and uh, pins him to the door i believe with the way it actually and it was odysseus uh, shot an arrow through both of them so he oh, grabs oh, it was so an arrow woman, okay all right yeah the one i and i may and then you it's uh, kudos to you for for a good memory for this not having seen it in a while but uh it's an what happens is the 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 young maiden who he has been sleeping with uh, the uh, Antinous character, uh, they run into each other so that they are in a sort of embrace yeah. because she hears him, you know, in danger. And then yeah. as they embrace, the arrow goes through them both and they die. So this sort of poetic license. Now, now was that the first arrow shot or not? No, no, no. There was plenty of arrows being shot by that okay. point. Okay. You that's see what I mean? That's the last okay, thing that, that happens that's, in that scene. That's inaccurate too. Mm-hmm. Because, now, you know, in, in the... In Homer's story, you know, and Odysseus finally confronts him because they have the contest of the bow where, you know, everybody's trying to string the bow, but uh, because Penelope says, if anybody can string the bow and shoot an arrow through 12 axes, I'll marry that man. And Odysseus, you know, and and Tinnemus is the last one to try and he can't do it. He says, oh, this bow is cursed, you know, and he throws it on the ground. Uh, 
on the floor, I mean, um, just his strings the bow. And then he takes an arrow, shoots it through the 12 axes. And then he says to Antenos, and you, Antenos, first among the suitors, first to connive and lie. Now see my vengeance as you're the first to die. Mm -hmm. And he shoots an arrow through him, through his heart, I believe, and kills him. And he was the first suitor, not the last one, or whatever it was in the movie, too. Yeah, he was the last one in this one. Now, so that's that's a point of uh, of storytelling, and, and and yeah, so that's something that you can, uh, from the classical standpoint, is inaccurate. I just will say, so we've got an authenticity. You know, I I not as bothered by it as you are. We've got an acting issue where I just think these are some amazing actors, and they are just well, they're good actors, but they're not used to good advantage. I mean, I, I, I don't they're, think they're not. Well, they're not. They're not directed. Um, let's actually talk about each of the, let's talk about each of the characters before we go further through. So okay. we talked about Odysseus. We thought that, you know, I like the Kirk Douglas version too, where well, Greta Scott, you want to talk about her Penelope? Well, but, but just to kind of put a point on it for the listener. So we've got Odysseus and we both agree that he's a little way too understated, way too just almost lethargic, yeah. you know, sometimes. Where Odysseus um, was an extrovert. He's always out there. He's always smiling. He's always... Uh, laughing he's always doing something you know yeah he's a he's a master conniver man of many wiles right yeah, yeah. so you've got that you've got Antinous who is a little bit too you know on well, the Antinous nose is supposed to be this. arrogant full of himself you know god's gift to women you know all that sort of thing and he, eric roberts does get a little bit of that but again yeah. it's just not focused okay now let's talk about penelope you got greta scotchy what did you i think? thought she's badly miscast she had like rings on her eyes she wasn't that beautiful then. And Homer actually, in the Odyssey, forgets about Helen of Troy, who he says is the most beautiful woman in the world in the Iliad. In the Odyssey, there's one part where he says, Penelope's the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah. So you needed a beautiful actress to portray that role, you know, not not Greta Scotty, in my opinion. And she was lackluster in the role. She didn't really come alive to me. Well, I, I thought she looked good, but I thought that the she wasn't – she just – there was no light or radiance to her. Again, this is exactly. a performance issue. This is also performance. Uh, this you, is also you directing. You want to see this is- an actress that inspires Odysseus after every all the trials and tribulations he has. After 20 years, he's got to get back to this beautiful wife that he dearly loves, and, and she's just so outstanding, you know? But But again, when I – Look at a film and everyone is understated and lethargic. That's a director issue. So I, I lay some of It makes the film the boring. Yeah, I lay that at the V director. Okay, I mean, for example, let's take uh, two, the two, three goddesses, okay? Let's take Athena. So you've got Athena as Isabella Rossellini. Uh, I mean, she, she looks I, She looks, like looks the part, but her costume's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And Athena, uh, you know, in... In the Odyssey, she's the main protectress of uh, Odysseus, mm-hmm. and she's ex- exuberant. You know, she goes and pleads for Zeus, her father, to uh, release Odysseus. You know, from Calypso's island and stuff like that. And uh, again, she's just too understated. You know, in the performance. Yeah, again, that's uh, I, I lay that to be the director. She certainly looked the part. She was very much there, but that that's something. The strangest one was you got Vanessa Williams, who is simply one of the most beautiful women in the world. I mean, just quite simply. And they somehow make her 
She, even her, with all her beauty, they somehow tone her down so yeah. that she comes off almost drab. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's really, I looked at that. I was like, you could even make Vanessa Williams seem drab. I mean, that's 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 a major feat in the wrong direction. I mean, she could have been really good as uh, Calypso. I think she would have been. Yeah, you really, but she needed to be, she needed a costume and a set and everything to really yeah. match her what she just has as her physical gift, right? So, like, you just, they, they you be know. be more she, seductive and alluring yeah. and, you know. Which was interesting because the Cersei, they make her the super seductress, whereas that's not quite. Cersei was the one who was a little more, she is actually concerned and disturbed by men on her island, as we know, because she's our matron goddess of this program. She was very much worried about men on her island. There was a reason well, she that transforms she had men prior to Odysseus men into uh Lions and wolves, and pi- exactly, and pigs. No, and no, things. no, uh, not well, pigs. Well, the men. No, she well, reserves, the men. reserves the pigs for Odysseus's men. Yeah, okay, but my point is that she is not someone who is exactly going out looking for guys, and it, she sort of played that way. Whereas Calypso is played the way Cersei really behaves, which is she just wants a boyfriend. Yeah, you know, she's she's a love goddess. She doesn't really just want a boyfriend. That was her love slave, you know, so it's a different kind exactly. of vibe. Exactly. So they had, they crossed the two roles the wrong way. Yeah. And and she should have been, you know, I, I would have had her in, you know, bright, you know, goddess garb and all that kind of stuff. It's just, they didn't know what to do with it. So they took those two characters, they ruined both of them, they got them the wrong way. Um, and then they, they didn't make a big enough deal the fact that Calypso offers Odysseus to become an immortal, to live forever as, as a, you know, as as in the realm of the gods, and he turns her down. That's a big deal. In the Odyssey, yeah, no, it's 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 so yeah, so all right. So the performances are off. Okay, the performances are off. What did you think of the script and the dialogue? It was mediocre. Yeah, they just kind of just looked at the book and said, "Okay, we need to get through these scenes." So let's kind of get through these scenes now. So that's that's kind of the way I felt. It's like they just kind of went through each section and went, okay, we need to write about this and we'll write about that. But they, there was no inspiration. They weren't inspired by it. And then there's some, you know, the, the way the Cyclops was depicted, it looked ludicrous. It almost looked funny. It didn't look scary like the one in the Kirk Douglas movie, which was the best special effect, virtually the only one in the movie, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it was great. good in the Kirk Douglas movie, and it was ludicrous in, in uh, Hallmark's version. Yeah, I would agree, and uh, you know, yeah, some of the other special effects they weren't terrible. It just there was nothing that stood out, nothing that amazed you. That's the thing I think. You know, this to its credit, remember to leave the gods and goddesses in the goddesses, especially are super important in the Odyssey, but. And and that's great, and you need that magic to it. But there should have also been a magic that came from how they decided to tell the story. This is a colorful yarn. This is an exciting epic. You know, this is a guy trying to su- first survive the war and then survive his journey home. And there's just no excitement or energy or enthusiasm behind this. It was like they just kind of had to do this as a book report, and they just kind of turned it in. Yeah, That's kind of what it felt like. So... Um, so the script, the acting, the authenticity, we've touched on that. Um, well, you know, you had, of, you had uh, mm-hmm. Michael Pollard playing uh, Elis, the ruler of the winds. Uh, he wasn't great either. 
That was a strange performance. They, they but, made him look you know. bald, and he wasn't, you know, and I, I, I don't get that, you know, whatever. Yeah, it was, a, it was a strange, goofy, odd performance. And so I don't know what that was. Uh, but again, I, I look back to the director on this stuff, uh, which is why I'm so astonished. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola must have been working on something else at the time. He can't have been overseeing this project with his brilliance of vision. Just even a slight involvement would have changed something. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, all in all, it's if you watch it, you at least learn what's in the Odyssey. That's about it. It's three hours well, long. Well, you learn so, it except for the uh, sequence of the sirens. sirens. Except for the sequence of the sirens. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Uh, and then and you know, it, three, it does show the long, you know? it does show the uh, him sailing past the the two monsters, Scylla and Charybdis. Uh, yes, that's yeah. That was okay, but it could have been a lot better with uh, the the multi-headed Skilla on the on long snake-like necks, uh, snatching six a sacred number, by the way, of Odysseus' men. <clears throat> but if Odysseus sailed into Charybdis, a, a giant whirlpool, then they all would have died. So it's a it's a classic military situation. Do you sacrifice a few to save the many, you know, mm-hmm. or not? And, uh, you know, many commanders in many wars have had to make a terrible decision like that. Of course, the well, just wanted to survive, you know, <laughs> absolutely. You know. Exactly. So he was willing to do that. But I think so there's there's that. Um, th- oh, that was the other thing that I thought was weird. When he gets to the uh, when he when he's shipwrecked. So he. He leaves Calypso, Poseidon's still angry, he gets shipwrecked, and he goes to where Alcinous, the the so he's rescued uh by the princess. Yeah. Uh and then he's Nausicaa and, and Nausicaa. King Al Alcinous or Alcinous. Yeah, Alcinous, right? They they make them did you notice this? They make them this weird Fellini-esque. Like I got this impression that they were like these freaky, trippy townspeople which yeah. is not the way it was supposed to be. This is where he finally gets nice treatment and yeah, yeah. good food. But they make it into this weird trip, like he like he stumbled into some like rave or weird party where everybody's doing something. You know, they're on something. And everybody's there's, there's, weird. Been, there's been many paintings about this where Nausicaa and her girls went down to voice the, the royal, uh, you know, laundry, mm-hmm. bedding and everything. And then when they finish and, the, and and they put the clothes out to dry, then they play a game of ball where they're laughing and singing. They're throwing the ball around. And then, uh, you know, Nausicaa finally sees Odysseus, who's naked under a, uh, under an olive tree. Yeah. No, but my point is, it's like, that. that's, yeah, that's all great. But that's also where he gets comfort. We just covered this in our own. Yeah, it was called Zinnia. You know, when yeah. he, he finally, after all these trials and tribulations for 10 years uh, voyaging home, he finally gets kind treatment uh, on the island of Sharia with King Alkenos and his daughter. But they but they make it in this version like he's just a, with a bunch of freaks yeah. who are going to try to like, you know, slip a Mickey in his cocktail. It's like weird. Yeah, very so weird. It doesn't, it doesn't really work. No. Um, all right. So all in all, we're at, I'll come into the end of our our segment, Gary, uh, in our using our classical world, our, our 34 Circe classical world rating system of five shields being the best, no shields being the worst. How many shields do you give 
to the well, 1997 I'm so disappointed. I'd give it like a two and a half. I would agree with you. I might even go. I might even go to two shields. And the reason I do that is just because I'm again. I'm so disappointed. It's so drab. It the performances are so off. I it, it basically gets its two shields because it included the goddesses. Like that's about all I can. Yeah, yeah. You know, that part I like, but you know the uh, every, like you like we've said in this program, every single major character was not portrayed correctly. Yeah, it's it's just off. So, all right. With that, folks, I want to thank uh, the one and the only Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Sean. And now, you know, you and I could do a much better version of the story. And with modern special effects, it could be fantastic. So let's hope we can do it somehow. I think it is our destiny, Gary. We're going to have to because I keep watching these versions and it's driving me nuts. They just need to get that oomph and understand the real majesty and magic in this story. It's an incredible story. So with that in mind, I want to thank you all for listening to the 34 Circe Salam, the Parallax channel. My name is Sean Marlon Newcomb. You have been listening to the classical world at the movies. We'll see you out. In Hollywood land. Thank you, folks. And take care.